Welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. <clears throat> I am Aaron Stump, and uh, this is a late night gym drive edition here in the quiet time between Christmas and New Year's. There's not a lot of commuting to work, but there's still going to the gym, which gives me a chance to share with you a little bit more about the Curry-Howard isomorphism. We are in Chapter 3 of this podcast, uh, which is about the Curry-Howard isomorphism, having first talked about computer check proofs and formal methods in Chapter 1, and functional programming a bit in Chapter 2. And of course, any of these topics we're touching on could be treated at much greater length than we're doing here. For example, there's a gigantic yellow Elsevier book, Elsevier, I'm not, not sure how to say that, sorry, book called The Curry-Howard Isomorphism, and you know, so you could go on about this to the tune of 800 pages or so if you wanted to, and some people do want to, and I applaud them, And but we are not doing that today. We, and this chapter, we're having a bit lighter touch than that, as is somewhat necessary um, over the airwaves. Some of this stuff, it's hard to talk through without having a whiteboard or a piece of paper or something. Anyway, so the Curry-Howard isomorphism, as we've talked about, is this basic, totally amazingly cool, and in retrospect, sort of you know sensible observation that constructive proofs and functional programs are more or less one and the same. And as we spoke about, you know, this basically has opened up this bridge between two, you know, dimensions or something, the programming dimension and the logic dimension. And again, constructive proofs really just mean that we have a program. Whenever you whenever the proof sort of tells you something exists or tells you there's a choice, tells you a choice can be resolved a certain way. I should say that there's a, when there's an, a disjunctive fact or statement, it gives you an actual method to, res, to, to resolve this choice, and it, it gives you a actual met, you know algorithmic method for constructing a witness of an existential quantifier. And so this sort of you know it, it's it's not too shocking that in in a, really there are functional programs inside there. And but still, people had to realize this, and it is a deep realization and really quite powerful. And you know, because for one thing, and I didn't mention this before, I mean, one thing that's really amazing about the Curry-Howard isomorphism is, you know, for some approaches to formal methods, you have a language for writing your programs. I mean, you've got your programming language, and then you've got some kind of language for writing proofs or coaxing some tool into realizing that some fact is true about your program. And so there's really two separate languages. There's some sort of proof or proof scripting or whatever you have kind of language. Um, and then there's a the programming language. So that's two languages. Two, and you know, language, I, I mean, I love languages. That's why I work in this area. But languages are big and complicated. And, and so having to deal with two of them rather than one of them is a bit of a pity. And, and it's a problem, you know, from an engineering perspective, as you're maintaining tools, they're going to be that much more complicated. That, that need to deal with a programming language and a separate proof language. Well, the Curry-Howard isomorphism says, don't worry, you don't need to do that. Just one language is good enough. The same one and the very one and the same language um, can serve for your programs and for the proofs about the programs. Amazing. Now, there's more to, t- to say about this because um, this makes it sound, there's, there's a sort of a hidden sneaky part of that. Um, it, it is as good as I'm saying, but it's also, there is a richness to it that we haven't really hit onto yet. 
but the thing I was wanted to talk about today, really, and we have plenty more episodes to go into more of this. Uh, I want to talk about today is the current Howard isomorphism for induction, mathematical induction. Now, you know, that mathematical induction, if you're a computer scientist, you know, you, you've, you know this reasonably well. You're exposed to this in a discrete math course or something like that. If you're a mathematician, of course, you know mathematical induction very well. Um, you know, and so and it's a basic principle that if you want to prove some property is true for all, let's say we're talking about natural number induction. Now we're going to need to generalize this quite a bit. But, you know, starting with natural number induction, so natural numbers being 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and so on into infinity. Um, uh, so, you know, if you want to prove a property is true of all natural numbers, what are you supposed to do? Well, mathematical induction says... Well, prove the property is true of zero, and then prove that it's preserved by successor. In other words, if the property is true of some x, then it's going to be true of x plus 1 as well. Okay? That's the, that's the basic principle of mathematical induction. Familiar to many people, many uh, learned people, educated people. Um, and so, uh, under the Curry-Howard isomorphism, you know, the, there's... The Curry-Howard applies to this, and it tells us that this induction um, proof is really a functional program. What functional program is it? Well, <laughs> when you were learning about this long ago, perhaps, did you ever have this sort of nagging, annoying feeling that this really feels a lot like just some kind of recursion or something, right? You, I, I still remember. Um, I don't remember. I don't. This was not from my class that I had about this, but I remember seeing some textbook or other that has a picture of dominoes. And you're supposed to think, oh look, no matter where I am in the chain of dominoes, if I push one domino over, it's going to hit the one before it, and the one before it, and the one before it, and eventually it'll come to the end of the chain, which is zero, and it will stop. And, you know, that's not a bad picture. I'm, I mean, I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little annoyed at it in some ways, <laughs> for some reason I maybe can't quite articulate. But, I mean, there's, that's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I can't you know, find big fault with that or anything. Um, but it, I guess maybe what, maybe what I don't like about that is it, it makes it feel like um, they need to give you a familiar, different analogy um, for, to explain induction other than terminating recursion. And guess what? Under the Curry-Howard isomorphism, induction is not just sort of like terminating recursion or um, very much inspired by or quite reminiscent of. It is exactly the same as terminating recursion. Terminating recursion and induction are completely and totally and perfectly identified um, under the Curry-Howard isomorphism. When you are writing an inductive proof, you are simply writing a recursive function. Hallelujah! I mean, that's, that's great. And it's, also, it's, it's great. It's exciting. It's like, oh, thank goodness. Those nagging doubts I had about the domino picture and stuff, it's like, why, why are they telling me this? I mean, I don't know. Isn't it it just seems like you're just making a recursive call. I mean, I, I when I learned this, it's not like I could have told you, well, goodness, aren't you just making a recursive call? I didn't have that kind of intuition. But something just bothered me that's sort of like, this idea that you kind of, you can do it again and blah, 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 and eventually you hit the base case. I mean, that all makes sense. But I guess I think that's what really bothers me is it's kind of, you know, you could just explain this as a terminating recursion. But instead, we have to go off and explain it by this or that folksy real world analogy. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to pummel people too bad. I mean, you know, it, it helps to have different images of, of what's going on. But as a programmer, the image I want to have is writing a program. And that's what the Curry-Howard isomorphism 
tells you is is actually true. Yes, um, induction is just writing a recursive program. You know, so now let's just think about it a little bit. I mean, now that we've raw rod and piled on a little bit on that, but think about it a little bit. So what we're saying is that proof, you know, the proof is saying like, um, uh, you know, we need a good example. I mean, the, the kind of the simple ones, um, you know, let's, let's try to think of a nice, simple, there are lots of nice, simple, easy ones to do kind of, um, over the air, but, um, uh, let's see. I don't know. How about, um, Oh, okay. I'm not going to come up with one right on the fly. I mean, the one that I you, it's nice to do is like for all x, x plus zero equals x. But the thing that's a little annoying about that is it's like you have to kind of specify well, you have to say a little about addition and the addition operation and which argument it's recursive on and all this kind of thing. It's it's perfectly straightforward, but a little tedious. So, um, But let's just come back and say you're proving something for all x. You're proving some property. And under the Curry-Hardin isomorphism, proving a property of all natural numbers x is writing a function that takes in x as an input and produces the proof of the property about x as an output. Okay? So you're writing this program, um, you know, and, and it's a pure functional program, so we could just think of it as a function, mathematical function. It takes in input x, and it's going to spit out this proof about x, whatever property you're trying to prove. And um, this program, this pure functional program that you're writing to to, um, to be that proof, um, is allowed. It's basically a recursive program. It's it can call itself, and you call yourself when you use the induction hypothesis. So, in, you know, you're saying I'm trying to prove this property for x. I need to give you a value of a proof for the for the case when x is zero. And now, for the case when x is not zero but some successor number, then um, whatever it is I'm going to do, I'm allowed to call the make a recursive call to the proof itself um, for the predecessor of this this successor number I'm thinking about. So if I have successor of x, I'm allowed to call my induction hypothesis on x. Um, wow, that's amazing and um, and really exciting because it means that we programmers should be good at math. Ah, uh, well, if only that were true, but <laughs> we have at least. <laughs> the right tools for doing this kind of discrete math. And, and in fact, I find that um, teaching this kind of material to undergraduates here at the University of Iowa, that actually people really don't have a big problem um, carrying out this kind of formalized reasoning. I'm computer scientists, computer science majors, they can do this stuff. It's actually not, you know, it's not ridiculously hard. Of course, it can get really intricate and involved, and, you know, math can be, you know, arbitrarily tricky to figure out how to prove something. Um, so it's not like that becomes easier, but the sort of mechanics of, of how do I set up an induction um, as a pure functional program, it's totally manageable. You write a recursive program to prove your property for x. Um, write a program that returns a proof of the property for 0 and returns a proof for successor of x where it's allowed to call itself on x to get a, pr a proof for x. Okay, um, well... That's it for today. Thank you very much for listening.